You're listening to All Things Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, DNA ID, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Warning, All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. Part two of my discussion with Detective Sean Gorman from the Lincoln, Rhode Island Police Department. gosh you know i mean we just we just went through the the christmas season and so you know you see people that are completely irrational just running into walmart when it first opens on on a friday morning right after thanksgiving and you're like what is wrong with this guy right you know he's like punching somebody over a tv or something like that so i'm sure there are five stories on the tv right now that that are talking about people acting irrationally that's all you see is just that it seems like that's commonplace right now so and I, I guess people could probably understand me now more than ever is when they see, you know, these reactions on planes and airports. And like you said, during Christmas time and toilet paper um, and milk and all this other stuff. So, I mean, it, it's, it's similar. You, you don't understand what's happening with these people. Yeah. Well, and I, I interviewed a guy named Dion Joseph. He's a, uh, an L.A. cop and he's worked 25 years in Skid Row, which you can imagine what that would be like. And, but he's, his was a very, very interesting conversation. And especially with the politics down in LA, you know, they have prosecutors that basically act more like criminal defendants than they do prosecutors, you know, that, uh, you know, no bail and, um, or no cash bail or whatever that is where criminals are basically, they can, they can do just about anything and then be back out on the street within hours. And, you know, there are all sorts of crazy things happening that put additional pressure on you guys because it's your responsibility to clean up the streets. And yet, whatever efforts you're putting in, a lot of times it's undermined. And so it kind of goes back to, you know, where is your discretion available and where is your obligation start? So let's take a hypothetical, for example, and you go into a you go into this casino. I mean, you, you said it was, you, you know, there was an assault. There was a 911 call, I'm sure. Uh, you were obligated, basically, to make an arrest, correct? Um, well, not necessarily. I mean, again, we get there. We don't know. what kind, People think assaults are different things. I mean, assault isn't necessarily someone, you know, punches someone across the face. I mean, assault can be as simple as a push. It can be as simple as a disagreement. It can be, I mean, there's a lot of things that people consider assault right now. Um, and a lot of times they're wrong, but, uh, in that case, it was a little bit more aggressive, but I had to, in that case, because there, there was some injuries and and whatnot. Um, but 
in other cases, I mean, you can use your discretion. I mean, and, and we do use our discretion, which is another thing that is so troublesome is that everyone thinks that we just go out there and we just want to ruin people's lives. And, and that's not the case. We use discretion all the time. And then sometimes we even get in trouble for using the discretion because we don't believe that there was enough there to warrant an arrest and, and that it was maybe just a misunderstanding. But then you come to find out the person, the other person was a friend of a friend of a, an attorney general or, or, or something like that. And the next thing you know, you get a phone call saying, why didn't you arrest? Why did you use discretion? So it, it really is. It's a double edged sword um, where you don't know whether it's going to be uh, use your discretion and everything's going to be great. Everyone's going to be happy and you're going to feel good inside that no one was arrested and you did the best thing or you don't use your discretion and you just arrest. And then they say, well, why did you arrest? Why didn't you use discretion? So to be honest with you, it, I mean, you just do the best with what you have and, and you really hope at the end of the day, it just works out. Oh, sure. Well, I, it drives me crazy, honestly, when guys uh, come at, you know, they're Monday morning quarterback types and uh, especially during the bowl season, that's really applicable. But it's, it seems that everybody is second guessing the police, no matter what you do. And, and I, I applaud you guys that are willing to actually do the job because you you 99.99% of you do it for the right reasons. And I have to throw this out there of all the police officers that I've met all over the world. And I, I, my second business is, you know, other than uh, the podcast and all things crime is with MVAC systems. And I don't know if you're familiar with that system. Oh, but yeah. It's, yeah. Okay. Well, the, um, so obviously I interact with crime lab folks. I interact with crime scene investigators, detectives, prosecutors. I you know, interact with all of you guys. And I am yet to meet anybody that I would say, yep, that is a guy or a gal that should not be a law enforcement officer. And when I hear about them, the ones that I usually hear, them, hear about them from are guys like you. And you're saying, yeah, we found somebody, they screwed up and yeah, the screw up is all over the news, but we got rid of them. And, you know, everybody that I've talked to that is a law enforcement officer that says nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. And Correct. you guys, Absolutely. yeah, a lot of times it takes a little while and it might take a major incident for the bad cop to actually, you know, be exposed enough that you could say, yeah, that's, he's actually is a bad cop and we got to get rid of him. But, you know, you guys police your own pretty well. And like you said, none, none of you guys are out to ruin anybody's day. You know, you just want to do your job. You want to serve your community and come home to your family. Correct. Yeah. And that's back to that how we met on LinkedIn, which I just got on LinkedIn, by the way, I'm very, I'm very private. So this is the, that whole thing, <laughs> believe it or not, even though I'm on a podcast right now, I'm a very private person. Yeah. So I actually was not on LinkedIn for quite a while just because I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I do a lot of cybercrime, a lot of fraud. And, and I just, I always feel like throwing your stuff out there is, 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 you know, just you're asking for trouble, but uh, yeah, that's when I made that comment, um, you know, just about everything going on right now. I just said, you know, everyone saw this coming. Everyone saw, you know, what is going to happen with, with, with crime related to the whole defund movement. And, and it's like everyone saw this coming because especially like police officers, we knew this was coming. And, and the thing that's scary is, and you know, police officers, we're police officers for a reason. If I had a Harvard degree, I would be making Harvard money and I would not be a police officer. 
So these people out there, they're supposedly the smartest people in the country uh, making policies and, and laws are doing stuff that, you know, that people like yourself and, and myself, we look at and we're like, this is not going to end well. How do you not know this? You're supposed to be smarter than me. I voted for you because you are smarter than me. You were supposed to be the best buzz. Um, and they're not. And I think that's what's <laughs> scaring me more than anything is that, um, you know, a lot of these things, some of these, these decisions that you see being made are it, it's, it's borderline insanity. And it's, it's the decisions are made um, almost just a gut reaction. And that's not how you make sweeping changes uh, in the world is with gut reactions uh, that, that never turns out well, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have a, a different opinion about a lot of these, especially, you know, Harvard and some of these other uh, prestigious, you know, LA, UCLA and things like that. It's like, I don't know, man. I, I've, my dad, who actually invented the MVAC, um, had a PhD and in microbiology and animal sciences. And in my opinion, he was a brilliant man, but he grew up on a farm and the, he was a master welder. You know, the, the guy just had it all together as far as common sense goes, because he knew what would actually work in, in practical terms. And, you know, and I was in the military. And so, you know, it's kind of like that field expedient type thing where you, you just look at a situation and you're saying, uh, you can't apply that kind of logic to this situation because it just doesn't work in the real sense. And I think that's what a lot of these lawmakers, like what you're saying, these policymakers, when they, when they make it, you know, these make these major sweeping decisions, like what you're talking about, defund the police, I think is a perfect example. Uh, there's not a lot of common sense applied to that whole decision-making process because you, you can't, you can't, um, especially in today's society where you pretty much ha can't go anywhere and be completely out of society. You know, when law enforcement first came to be in the United States, you know, I mean, you think of Tombstone or something like that, where it's kind of the wild, wild west. And, you know, one person, you know, the marshal or, or the sheriff or whoever is kind of in charge to, you know, keep the peace. And, you know, that, that kind of a scenario just doesn't exist anymore. So there's lots of people that are well-established. There's lots of people that have generations of, of wealth, for example, or, um, you know, you are obviously in a, in a nice home, um, as am I. And, but there's going to be people that don't have as much as I have or that you have. And if law enforcement just goes away, then what's to prevent those people from just taking what I have or, or, you know, kidnapping someone or something like that. It's like, there's a barrier in between the law abiding citizens and the non-law abiding citizens. And that has to be law enforcement. And so to, to apply a defund the police type of a scenario without thinking that through, to me, just doesn't make any sense at all. Now, the defund the police movement, first of all, from a marketing perspective, horrendous name. They, 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 they should have called it reallocate funds and maybe it would make more sense because to be honest with you, the core 
the, the core understanding of this whole thing, what they're going for, I get. I mean, we do need more um, you know, social programs. We do need more domestic violence advocates. I mean, I, I, we've been through at least 10 of them in my small police station alone because they just come and go because it's not, it, it's, they don't make a lot of money um, and they just leave for someplace else. We do need more people in DCYF. We do need more social workers. We do need more mental health workers. Bring them on, please do. Because, you know, I get, I get eight hours a year on how to be, you know, uh, prepared for, uh, you know, a, a mental health uh, crisis or, or someone that has a mental health problem. I get eight hours a year. Um, you know, I get eight hours a year to, 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 to talk to, you know, children or like they, some training on that. To talk, and I haven't had that in actually a long time. So, you know, bring it, bring more people to help. There's no, there's not a police officer in the world that wants to be a marriage counselor, wants to be a, uh, I mean, a social worker, wants to, you know, help people with domestic violence. Well, they want, we definitely want to help with domestic violence, but not like, you know I mean? Not after the fact or to, to prevent it. I mean, we, we, we are there, at, at, like you said, we're there as a barrier and to, to police. We're not there to be, you know, you know, everything for everybody. And, and I'm, I'm that, please do send money to those to those uh, social programs, send lots of money to there because we would love that. We would love that help. Um, but at the same time, you I mean, it just seemed like the whole reason was to just to blame us and to say, you know, that we're hogging all the money. And that, you know, that's not the case because they can create any money they want right now. Any money in the world that they want to come up with, they'll just come up with a program and they'll just print the money like they're doing right now. So they don't need to defund us in order to get more social programs. That is that is ridiculous for anybody to think that the Lincoln Police Department, with its small budget, needs to have our budget cut in half so they can then give more money to social programs. That that is that's insanity. Yeah, well, you know which uh, which pile of money that comes from is is kind of the the question there. But you know, we, you guys with your small budget, and especially you said you've lost a third of your officers. You know, if you if you're losing ten to fifteen officers, then you're already undermanned. And if your if your budget has also been slashed, then uh, you know one of the things that that I I don't think most people understand is that being a police officer is more than just, you know, rolling around in your patrol car and, you know, pulling people over and get them, giving them tickets. I mean, you have to deal with everything, especially in a small department, which is, you know, including investigate a crime scene and, you know, and then put on your detective hat and then, you know, interview people. And so you have to be trained in how to properly interview you have to be trained in how to properly uh, execute a, a, a warrant. You have to be trained in how to properly go through a crime scene, especially in forensics. And nowadays, that alone is all, is a full time job. I mean, just to keep up with that tra- that training, holy cow! I mean, between fingerprinting and DNA and everything else that you have to gather as far as forensics evidence, it's just oh. I, I can't imagine trying to do it and be a police officer like what you do. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult. Um, you know, there is a lot of training involved and that's, you kind of do almost on your own. I do a lot of training on my own, a lot of reading. Um, I actually recently uh, just um, got accepted to the American Academy of Forensic Sciences 
and that's a great resource. Um, the IAI, Interna uh, International Association of Identification, they have uh, a bunch of great resources. And you know what? We play off each other. Um, I have a lot mm -hmm. of great, uh, good friends in, in Massachusetts. I have a lot of good friends that are um, civilian. Uh, for, we don't use civilian forensic people in Rhode Island. Um, in Massachusetts, they will, but we don't use them. We're our own forensic people. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll reach out to them and, and ask them questions. And uh, you mean, you always got to stay on top of your game because everything is always changing and the laws are always changing. I mean, they're always trying to fight DNA and they're always trying to say that what you did is incorrect and the collection method that you did was incorrect. And to be honest with you, then like six months later, because of your case, <laughs> that could actually be a law. So you could have done something that could then set the stage for a, a, a law saying that no longer are you allowed to collect DNA with this type of method because, you know, and who wants that to be on their resume that, you know, I'm the one and that was because of my case, um, you know, because I collected it with what I thought was the best, best method. Um, so it's, it's definitely nerve wracking. And, and like you mentioned, we do wear a lot of hats. Uh, the, the amount, the different kind of cases I have right now range from, you know, uh, credit card fraud um, to, to sexual assault, to a double homicide, um, to, you mean, to cyber crimes. It, it's just, it's, it's good and it sounds good and it's great for a resume. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel that if maybe if I was directed uh, to one specific thing, I, I think I would be better off at that one job and I could focus more instead of having to, to do all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, that kind of, throws right back to my point is that the smaller the department, the more hats you have to wear and the more expertise you have to have in all sorts of different areas. And so I'm glad to hear that you're reaching out because there's so many resources out there where, you know, guys are more than happy, cold case societies and things like that, where people are more than happy to, you know, at least advise you. And maybe you don't have the budget to actually bring somebody in, but you know, getting a little advice on, on a case that you've never seen before, you can't go wrong with that. So, uh, but to my point is that your training, the ability for you to train and, and as your department as a whole. So we had this, we had this problem when I was in the military where we had a certain number of slots where we could send people to certain schools. And number one, we still had our mission that we had to accomplish while we were yeah, regardless of who was gone for training. And so sometimes what we would do is take the people that was the, the least, um, how, do, how do I say it here? Um, the least valuable to the mission and send them to the school, <laughs> if that makes sense. But um, sometimes that's just the nature of the game. You just can't afford to lose some people. And so some of those people that you just can't afford, you know, the most valuable people to your mission uh, you can't send them to school because then the mission would fail. And sometimes that happens, but I think for police department more often, it just, you guys are just so undermanned and so underfunded that the first thing that happens is your training goes away. And then you're, uh, when you start losing people, you, you physically can't fill all the slots that you have to fill and still be able to send people to training. And you, you don't have any money to do it anyway. So it's kind of a double-edged sword and it's both sides are against you. Right. And, and I mean, it's like that, that movie, Perfect Storm, where you have the, the storms moving with each other, building off each other. It, that's what's happening right now. You have 
senior police officers with, with years, decades of experience leaving with that training that you're speaking of, they are leaving because they can. And because let's be honest, who not many people want to be police officers right now. And if you can, and if you can find greener pastures, let's be honest, now's the time to do it. And they're leaving. And people somehow think that that's a good thing, but it's not because you're losing all that training that you just referenced and all that experience and decades and decades of, of experience, not only experience, but these young kids that come on the job, you know, they're more gung ho. They're, 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 I don't want to say, I'm not going to say, you know, you know, they're, they're quick on the trigger. That, that's not what I mean. But I, what I was saying is that they're just very gung ho and they, and they, and they're, they're new and they, and they want to go out and stop cars. And they, and, they, and, but what I've learned, you know, and what all these people that are retiring have learned is it's so much easier just to talk to someone. It's so much easier just to t look at things from a different perspective. You know, I've learned so much on the job and I'm going to learn so much more tomorrow and so much more the next day. And, and all that's gone. And everyone somehow thinks that's a good thing because all these bad cops are tiring. I get, to, I hate to break it to everybody. The bad cops are not retiring. The bad cops are sticking around because maybe they haven't been flushed out yet all the good cops are the ones that are retiring and you're going to be left with all these new people and all these new kids. And maybe people that what we're seeing is maybe some people a little bit less qualified to be a police officer, because right now we, we're not getting as many qualified applicants that we used to uh, military, for instance. I mean, I, we, we barely had any military in the last, um, in the last round of, of hirings. We, I mean, we don't see them anymore because they're, they're going and they're, they're doing other things. Um, so I, I, I think that yeah. is a, it, it's definitely a recipe for disaster that that's starting right now. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I don't know, uh, again, you, you look at some of these policymakers and you, you like, number one, you did not war game this. And if you did, and you're doing this on purpose, then that is just, a nefarious area. I, I, as, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking, you know, if you look back on history, right after World War II, the, exactly what you described has ha happened in right after World War II. You know, all those NCOs and officers that had served throughout World War II, they had those years and years of experience. And, you know, it, people don't understand that a year of experience in a war zone is like 10 years of experience anywhere else. And I, I would, I would apply that same thing for you guys, you know, a year on the street for a police officer is probably so educational to how that job is done. You, you can't replace that. Well, right after world war II, everybody came home. Well, there wasn't a war anymore. So there wasn't a need for a million man standing army or, or 5 million or however many, however big it got you know, right at the peak of the war. So a lot of these guys went off and did other things. Well, they took all that experience with them. And then lo and behold, just a few years later, Korea kicked up. Well, initially we got our butts kicked in Korea. And the reason was because we lost most of that human intelligence and that human experience. And I think if you look at Minneapolis PD, that is what is happening. So they had that whole, I mean, I think out of all of the agencies that I know of, Minneapolis was the one that actually defunded their police. Now, a lot of them, I, I think two thirds or something, half of, of the force stuck around because they probably knew that it wasn't actually going to stick. And 
And they, I think just like you, they knew what was going to happen. I mean, those guys were like, are you kidding me? I mean, even if they completely defunded the police force for an extended period of time, um, you know, they were loyal enough to their community that they still stuck around. But bottom line is within a relatively short amount of time, they refunded it. Well, but the problem is that a lot of the damage was done. So a lot of those experienced officers that once the defunded uh, vote came down, they were like, screw this, I'm out of here. Well, they took a lot of experience with them and the guys that replaced them. Yeah, it's another body and it's another uniform, but it's not the same. No, and mistakes will be made. Um, I mean, just simple mistakes. Uh, prosecution. Uh, you know, we, our prosecutor left to go to greener pastures and, and, and then I stepped up and I became the prosecutor and I had to relearn that job. Um, you know, and then someone else moved into another position and then I had to give some of my, uh, you know, items away and, and give it to somebody else who then had to learn my jobs and mistakes are made when you're learning, but mistakes are not made when you've been on a job for 35 years doing the same thing. And you, you know, for the most part, you know, you've seen it all and you know, and you, and you have this air of calmness, uh, where you can just, no matter what comes at me, I will be able to handle um, and that is, and, and that's unfortunately what left. And, and I'm, I, I definitely fear for, you know, what's going to come with all the mistakes that are now going to arise with people just sliding into new positions. Uh, we have no command staff right now. Um, and that's going to be difficult, I believe, to, you know, we have to put everybody, all these young people into command positions with nobody to be their mentor. And, and, and that's the best part of becoming a sergeant and then having a great lieutenant as, as a mentor and then have a great captain as a mentor. But when they're all gone, who's your mentor? Who, who, who do you go to to ask questions? And that's another reason why I feel I, I need to stick around is you know, I, I've lived in this town all my life. My, my, my dad definitely put his heart and soul into this community. And I just feel like I have to stick around a little bit longer and, and just kind of maybe, maybe help out before I decide, you know, that's it for me. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.